Welcome to Inside Sponsorship, the show that provides sponsorship professionals with advice, insights and news so they can maximise their commercial programmes and achieve best practice. The roots of UBS date all the way back to 1747 when Bank Regazi, which changed names a number of times before being taken over by Union Bank of Switzerland in 1972. However, Union Bank of Switzerland was formed in 1912 when Bank in Winterthur merged with Toggenberger Bank. Today, UBS is reimagining the power of people and capital to create a better world for all of us, a world that's fair, that's sustainable, and that gives everyone the opportunity to thrive. UBS provides financial advice and solutions to private, institutional and corporate clients worldwide, as well as private clients in Switzerland. Headquartered in Zurich, Switzerland, they are present in all major financial centres worldwide, making them the largest truly global wealth manager. Joining us in this episode is Annalise Messilati, Head of Brand Activation Sponsorships and Events for the Americas region at UBS. Hi, I'm Daniel Oyston, host of Inside Sponsorship, and you are listening to episode 125, brought to you by Core Software. Thanks for joining us for another episode. It's great to have you listening wherever you are in the world and whatever your connection is with the sponsorship industry. As always, shout out time. Josh McKernan, Fund Development Specialist at Big Brothers Big Sisters of North and West Niagara, Canada. Josh connected on LinkedIn and wrote, Hi, Daniel, I've been listening to Inside Sponsorship for years. Thank you for taking the time to put out great content and congrats on all the success with the podcast. It is interesting how many industries you can reach through sponsorship. My favorite aspect of sponsorship is the creativity of different partnerships and campaigns. I agree with that, Josh, and I love hearing about how rights holders identify new opportunities and new partnerships in areas that are either emerging or have never really been involved and been tapped by the sponsorship industry. Thanks for connecting, Josh, and all the best. Joining us, as I said in this episode, is Annalise Messilati, Head of Brand Activation Sponsorships and Events for the Americas region at UBS. The global sponsorship portfolio at UBS is rooted in culture and sport, including contemporary art, with Art Basel as a flagship property, and motorsports, currently team partner of Mercedes-AMG Petronas Formula One team, in addition to regional platforms. Annalise oversees the UBS Arena Naming Rights Agreement and the partnership with UBS Arena's anchor tenant, the NHL's New York Islanders. UBS Arena is a US $1.5 billion project built next to Long Island's historic Belmont Park racetrack, which opened in November 2021. Additional programs include founding sponsorship of Players TV, the first ever athlete-owned media network dedicated to showcasing sports lifestyle and entertainment content, and global lead partnership of Art Basel, regionally Art Basel Miami Beach. Alongside ideation, activation and management of regional sponsorship activities, Annalise is focused on aligning initiatives with UBS's leadership in sustainable investing and commitment to reimagine the power of investing and connect people for a better world. Prior to UBS, Annalise has acted as a brand marketing and communications lead for several financial services firms, including Citi and RBC, among others. Here's Annalise. Annalise, welcome to the show. We always start with a few icebreaker questions just to ease into it, have a bit of fun, and also to help the audience get to know you a little bit before we jump into the serious stuff. So you are from London originally, but you live in New York now. What is your favourite place to eat in each of those cities and why? I would say for London, my favourite place to go is Fortnum and Mason. 
just for afternoon tea because it's super tr- traditional. Um, I've got a little bit of a family tradition around that as well with uh, my kids and they always like to go. They do a really great um, kids afternoon tea. And just it's just really kind of the best of British with all the formality and I'm gluten-free and they do an incredible gluten-free afternoon tea. So that's always our spot that we go to. And what about in New York? Where's your favourite place to eat and why? For New York, I would say Malaparte, which is a real neighbourhood spot. It's a neighbourhood Italian in the West Village. Very classic, excellent food, just great quality produce. Um, yeah, really, really lovely little spot. It's got a good outside eating area, um, super low-key, um, very popular. Yeah, I love I love that spot. Very good. Well, now we know what you like to eat and where you like to eat. Our second icebreaker question for you is, what was your first ever job? Way back when you first had your first ever job, what was it? I used to work in a shoe shop. I think that was probably my first job when I was around 14. It was in a pretty, like, not the best area of London, I have to, I have to say. And, yeah, it was great. I learned a lot there. I lot, lot, learned a lot around sort of service. Um, I got my independence. You know, I got uh, money for the first time. I had to get on the bus to go and get there, get myself there on time. Um, it was a kind of a store that was a kind of very kind of mass market commercial store. So I served all sorts of people trying to kind of fit a shoe on a three-year-old to kind of someone that's, <laughs> that's elderly. So I definitely learned a lot in that job. Yeah, it was, it was, a, it was a, a good foundation, as we say. And I really think service, like a kind of some kind of service role. I worked in, um, you know, clothing stores. I worked in pubs, restaurants throughout college. All of that was, a, you know, a really good foundation for my career. Excellent. Fascinating answer. Very interesting. Let's get into the serious stuff, the reason that we have you on the show. As we set up for that, tell us a little bit about your career and how you've progressed to where you are now, which is Head of Brand Activation and Sponsorship Americas at UBS. I started my career in uh, at Citigroup, uh, now City, um, and I work within the Global Markets Division in their marketing team. And that was actually the first exposure that I had to branding and sponsorship um, because while I was in that role, they were considering the um, deal to rename Shea Stadium when they were constructing the new stadium and um, working through the city field deal. Um, so I remember that, you know, really being kind of on the periphery of that project, but in my role in global markets, they would report back to us on kind of key key discussions, um, key factors around the project. And I remember there being quite a lot of controversy at the time around having a big naming rights deal for a landmark New York team, uh, their home of the New York Mets. And, you know, Shea Stadium, Stadium was a kind of really legacy, legacy building and how City navigated that at the time. And that really just kind of started my interest in... Um, in sponsorship. So that was a real privilege to have, you know, an initial insight into one of those really big naming rights deals. And then luckily I've um, moved on to other roles and um, got exposure to a lot of branding and sponsorship. 
And Lisa, I know that you moved from Citibank, which at the time was the biggest bank in the world, to be head of marketing and communications at a company called Saxo Bank, which was a small-scale financial tech company. From chatting to you pre-show, I know that Saxo Bank at the time was sponsoring a cycling team, but it wasn't being managed and activated well. Moving to a, a much smaller company in Saxo Bank compared to Citibank at the time, picking up a sponsorship that wasn't being activated well, it is actually a really great opportunity to cut your teeth in the space. What did you do to help ensure the deal was beneficial for Saxo Bank and what did you learn throughout the whole process? This sort of deal is termed as a chairman's choice sponsorship. There were some great client experiences. We had a support car that would drive up behind the the team when they went up on the the mountains on the tour legs. We had great hospitality on the finish line, but beyond that, there was very little activation. And when I joined Saxo, marketing was very much around uh, targeting clients, offering campaigns that had incentives, um, but there was really nothing around what their brand identity was um, or anything that would trigger any emotion for, for that for that brand with a potential client. Um, so I have kind of quite a strong marketing background. And for me, that emotional point and that emotional connection that we have to a brand is critical. And when, uh, I mean, I think Saxo at the time was um, competing with a couple of other very, very well-known and established brands in the British market. Um, and, you know, how do we step in as someone that's unknown to build awareness and trust with clients that ultimately are going to be investing their personal finances with us? So it was a trading business. Um, and how do we how do, how do we build that trust? So I felt that the brand piece was a component that we were were missing and that's something we definitely needed to look at. It was also something that I kind of had to struggle with because um, it was something that wasn't that wasn't being activated, and there wasn't a lot of un- understanding from a tech perspective. You know, they wanted to see a funnel that was we've placed this digital marketing here, and it's led to X Y Z leads here. And branding is a process that requires building out, and it's a, you know it's a bit of a longer longer um, game than that. So I had to be pretty tactical as to how we executed that um, campaign. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm proud of that work. I think it was successful. Um, they actually went on to roll out the, the, the brand campaign globally. So I think that that worked really well. I extended it beyond cycling. So we um, also had some sponsorships in triathlon. We worked with Alistair Brownlee, who was pretty much unknown at the time and went on to be, you know, uh, the, one of the greatest tri- triathlon uh, athletes of all time. Um, just to talk around the personas of the clients that we had there, they were um, traders. They were generally day traders. And the messaging that I could run around um, cycling and that kind of highly competitive um, spirit really matched with that you know, type A persona that a lot of the traders are. And also a lot of the traders were actually jumping on bikes themselves. They were participating in the sport recreationally. 
we had data around the huge interest in um, triathlon. So that's why I moved to that to that field to get into that sponsorship. And also could be pretty um, creative around those because it did. I didn't have to invest a huge amount of money at the time in order to get those partnerships off the ground. Great rundown. Thanks for that. You're clearly now at UBS. Can you give us a bit of a rundown of what the portfolio of sponsorships you are managing looks like at the moment? So our sponsorship portfolio really aligns with the interests of our clients. So we focus on art, culture and sports. And broadly, um, we always have a strong focus uh, on areas that support the UBS purpose statement, which is to reimagine the power of investing and connect people for a better world. So in practice, that means that we'll look to align with partners that can promote sustainability, diversity, equity, and inclusion. And also UBS is the world's largest wealth manager. So really for for many of our clients, money can be no object. So we like to deliver really money money can't buy experiences. So, for example, access to Formula One um, and our Formula One team via our Mercedes partnership. Um, it's just really giving that experience that, um, you know, our very kind of privileged clients that, you know, are, you know can navigate the world with ease, um, can, can have access to an experience that they're, they're going to be really interested in and, um, you know, their money isn't going to, going to help them buy. We've also got um, several sponsorships in athletics in our home market in Switzerland. Uh, we've got a pro cycling team in Europe. And in ice hockey, we actually sponsor the oldest club tournament in the world, which is the Spengler Cup. And in New York, we're partner of the New York Islanders. Um, and as I mentioned earlier, one of the um, global sports that we um, sponsor is the Mercedes Formula One team. You spoke a little bit earlier about personas when you were working at Saxo Bank. You spoke about who your clients are now at UBS. Is the target markets for the sponsorships that you just gave us a rundown on, are they the same regardless of the property or do they differ by property or even region? So generally our target market, they're high net worth and ultra high net worth individuals. And then also for me, within the US, we have um, client segments, which is where we um, segment our our client base according to um, key criteria. So, for example, we have a women's segment, we have a rising gen segment, and then also we have a sports and entertainment segment, the athletes and entertainers segment. And that tends to be a segment that I work with quite a lot because um, they work with individuals that are current and former athletes, um, uh, musicians and actors and people in the entertainment space. And the reason why we have that category is that there are very specific investment needs. When you're an athlete, we, we say that's often vast and vast wealth. With um, an entertainer, your career may be you know, very long lasting, you may be the Eagles and you could be, you know, in in the business for 50 years, or you may be an artist that has a kind of very short lived career. And then how do you manage to maintain your wealth in in that regard? Um, 
So within that, we have these segments and they'll produce very specific research which will align with those segments. So, for example, with the athletes and entertainers segments, they've got reports around uh, NIL, which is obviously, you know, very relevant for a lot of college athletes now. Sudden wealth, looking at your next stage and tying in with those themes. And they also have a, a large um, sponsorship portfolio that sits off the back of that. So they launched in 2020 um, with veteran 12-year NFL um, player, Wale Ogunleye. And I work really closely with Wale on a lot of his sponsorships. And that can include um, Players TV, which I think is a really um, interesting partnership where we effectively produce three TV shows. So I can talk a bit more around that if that would be interesting. Yeah, I do want to talk about Players TV, so I might just park that question and come back to it a little bit later. But as you've just described, your sponsorship activations are aimed at those who are high net worth individuals or, as you said, ultra high net worth individuals. But you also don't want to actively exclude other audiences because you are focused on connecting people, as you mentioned earlier. How do you walk the line of that as a sponsor? Well, a great example would be with UBS Arena. So we have um, a naming right deal in um, Elmont, New York, for a stadium that, uh, well, an arena that seats 19,000 fans. And we are, you know, we ha- do have quite a narrow target market, and then that is obviously um, a mass market venue. It um, attracts fans from, from all sorts of, you know, de- demographics from anywhere and everywhere. And I think the important things for us then, when you consider, for example, a venue like UBS Arena, we are a huge institution within a community. How as we, uh, how, how can we as a naming right partner, you know, ensure that we're integrating with the community, integrating with the fans for the New York Islanders who are the anchor tenant and for, you know, the, the, huge variety of music and entertainment acts that come through the venue. Um, I would also say we're pretty conscious of the wealth gap. You know, there is the wealth gap in the US and globally. And as the world's largest financial manager, how do we look to empower individuals that um, in the area of finance, you know, an area that we have um, great expertise. So for that, we really look at how we can have outreach into the local community I think one good example would be a um, program that we're running for the Sawanaka High School District, which is the, a, 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 a district of high schools that sit around UBS Arena. And last year we had an event for 400 high school students at the arena where we um, had sessions around financial education and also college prep, which was an area that a lot of students you know, were looking at their next move. And we, um, we we have a really good collaboration with the high school. I also go have gone into several of the high schools in the school district to talk to their sports marketing um, course. So um, that's really, you know, been really brilliant. We also have um, leaders in our field in, on the um, financial advisory side who will go in and do smaller sessions with the, with the students on financial education. So I think that's just an example of where you know, we've not just put a name on the building. We've got 
you know, our activations that are relevant for high net worth in there. It's a beautiful venue with, you know, absolutely premium um, hospitality spaces and where we can offer, you know, those incredible experiences. But how can we um, open the doors to our sponsorship to, to help to integrate with the community a little bit more? Your example and explanation of UBS Arena is a, is a is a good one for me because it creates a great segue into the next question that I wanted to ask. And particularly interested in your comments around integrating with the community and the fans, and you gave some great examples there around the arena. More broadly, so not just the arena, but you could potentially give some more examples from within UBS Arena. When you find a property that is a good fit in terms of those audiences that you're trying to engage with, what sort of assets and other properties are you generally trying to activate to make it a sponsorship that delivers the outcomes that you're looking for as a business, as an organisation? I would say brand visibility is a key component that's really important. So if we use UBS Arena as an example, we're looking for all of the kind of brand assets that we can have on site. We've actually got an enormous logo on the roof that can be viewed from the JFK flight path. And I've actually been on a plane when I've spoken to someone and was just chatting to the person next door to me on the plane who said, oh, you've got an arena, haven't you? And I asked him how he knew that because he was flying in from from Holland and he said, oh, I saw it. I saw it from the sky. So it's good to know that people are actually, you know, can actually see our brand from the sky. Um, Also, beyond the actual venue itself, we're looking for assets that can help get that brand out nationally. So the NHL this year launched um, a new um, asset, which was their digital dashboards. So we've been really keen to activate that um, asset with them. Um, We've also got branding on the Islanders, a wave helmet. So again, like when you come to UBS Arena, you really can't miss the UBS brand. But what can we do, for example, to get that brand outside of the walls? of New York, you know, of that venue in New York. And we, we do that via the digital dashboards and the away helmet. Um, for Formula One, I mean, again, that's an area where you've got a lot of brand um, placement. It's somewhere where we've been very thoughtful. Um, we are, you know, we have strategic activations of trackside branding. We have a lot of branding in Monaco, for example, which ties in a lot with our type target audience. And then also on the uniform, which has really come to play with Drive to Survive, because whenever um, either Lewis Hamilton or George Russell is interviewed or any anyone from the team, be it Toto Wolf, that UBS um, logo is really front and centre on any TV, TV coverage. That's been really helpful. Um, we also look at hospitality. So again, um, access for clients, the opportunity to offer incredible client experiences and then also for our teams to build relationships with their clients you know in incredible incredible places and spaces how can we um, deepen those client relationships and then also content has been extremely important for us Um, so we look at um, content as an opportunity to share a view on a sport or an athlete that is you know, behind the scenes or can offer a unique insight into themes that are relevant to our clients. So we quite often talk around uh, philanthropy, entrepreneurialism, 
sustainability and impact investing. So we have a lot of um, content that supports that. And luckily, there's a lot of alignment with the athletes that we work with, including, you know, the great work that Lewis Hamilton is doing and Mercedes around um, Mission 44 and diversity and inclusion targets within motorsport. And also a partnership we have in hockey with 43 Oak Foundation that really looks at um, opening up access to ice hockey in underserved communities in the U.S. Toto Wolf, Christian Horner, they're always in the middle of all the dramas on Drive to Survive. That surely helps the brand. It must make you smile when they get themselves into a little bit of argy-bargy back and forth and it gets more screen time and more exposure for the brand. I think it's great, it's great entertainment, I will say that. <laughs> yes, it does. I mean, it's very helpful to have a driver that's been um, seven t- times world champion and then also is just... Um, such a legend in the sport so we always get a lot of um, exposure and yes I think the the ongoing Toto Christian <laughs> debate shall we call it or I don't know <laughs> uh, has been uh, has been interesting for everyone. Let's stay on the the theme of Formula One I know you head up the Americas but I also know that you don't operate in a silo and you're going to be connecting with UBS worldwide sponsoring things like an F1 team has the challenge of it being a global sport, particularly in terms of locations. As I said, you're the head of the Americas, but the, the team UBS sponsors, they race all over the world. They don't just have a home arena and just stay in one country. The, the cultures of Great Britain versus Abu Dhabi versus America versus Spain, they're all so contrasting. How do you navigate that as a sponsor when you're activating an overall sponsorship but there's so many cultures to take into consideration it's interesting because one of my beliefs in life is never underestimate culture and i feel like every time i've done that in my experience it hasn't ended well i think for me i mean it's been interesting i uh, began working in the u.s market around 15 years ago and when i came to the u.s very few americans knew what formula one was For me, it was very much a fixture in my upbringing. It was, you know, on the races were on the television on the sun on Sundays. We had the iconic um, TV theme. You kind of always were ready for the race. We had some, you know, British icons: Nigel Mansell, Damon Hill, and then obviously uh, we then entered the the era of Lewis Hamilton. So it's always been very much a kind of fixture for me. And then coming to the US really very little awareness around the sport. And I can remember senior leadership at UBS being pretty baffled as to why UBS was a sponsor of the sport and um, not feeling that there was really any, any, anything for us or any, any real interest in activating the sport in the US. And I feel that Drive to Survive and also Liberty Media coming in and um, taking on their ownership of the sport and really commercialising that and just making it a sport that was much more engaging to the US market has been critical in turning around that that view within, within UBS in the US and obviously within the US as a whole. I think today we're in a, you know, a very different place for the US. It's the... Last year in Austin was actually the, the 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 highest attendance they've ever had, 
And that was despite Miami being the first year uh, for a second race in um, in the US. And this year, we're going to have three US races with um, Austin, uh, the Cota race, Miami and Vegas starting in November. And they're sold out that you 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 can't keep up with demand. Um, so I think that a lot of people are actually really captivated by that global element as well. And I think that that's where Drive to Survive has been so successful in engaging everyone because a lot of the sports in the US are very much uh, national sports. And I think for people to see, you know, global teams, this kind of traveling circus that goes to so many different countries, to see drivers and engineers and team principals from all these different countries and cultures. It's, you know, it's, it's incredible. And a lot of people want to be part of that. Um, and I also like the fact that every race really does keep its own identity. So, you know, I, I'll go to Austin and you definitely know you're in Texas. <laughs> I mean, Daniel Ricardo coming in on horse last year was, you know, with, with, uh, surrounded by um, cowboys was, you know, something else. You know, they've all got that spirit. And Miami is most definitely like Miami. It's that real kind of Latin flair party vibe. And we'll have to see about Vegas. I mean, Vegas on a night race. <laughs> wow. Slightly scared about Vegas. <laughs> I did want to take sort of half a step back and, and ask another question about UBS Arena. As we know, uh, you are the naming partner, but the arena is a LEED version 4 certified venue. Now, for those people that don't know, LEED is an international symbol of excellence in that it is a benchmark for the design, construction, and also the operation of high-performance green buildings UBS Arena is where, as you mentioned earlier, the New York Islanders of the NHL play, but it also hosts other events like concerts and and conferences. It's a typical North American multi-use venue that brings a lot of opportunity for visitors to drive cars to events. And while the arena's climate smart transportation strategy has, when I was doing my research, told me that it's taken over 40,000 cars off the road. I understand that there's still more work to be done to encourage people not to drive to the arena. And so I'd love to hear some more about that work and the initiative. UBS Arena and the team that built the arena, which is Oakview Group, and UBS all have a goal that UBS Arena becomes carbon neutral. That's really important for us, which is obviously, you know, quite difficult to achieve when you've got a venue for 19,000 people. And one way that we feel we need to to, uh, dig into in order to achieve that goal is to take people out of their cars and see where possible um, we can get them to travel via train. And an important part of that is that actually the infrastructure is there. So as part of the construction of the arena, the first Long Island Railroad station in over 40 years was constructed to sit alongside UBS Arena and um, provide a really easy route into the arena for fans from the city. So we now have trains coming in from Grand Central and Penn Station, which are two um, mass you know, transit hubs within Manhattan. And there are also many trains that come in from... Um, out east in Long Island. 
So for a track, for a fan, for their experience, um, they can get to the arena in 31 minutes from Manhattan and just over um, 41 mi- minutes from a major hub in Long Island, which if anyone has been to New York, um, the infrastructure isn't great. The roads aren't great. Um, there are a lot of, <laughs> there's kind of almost constant traffic jams uh, around um Long Island and congestion. So we think that that will offer a really great fan experience, but also, um, you know, get those cars off the road and help with those carbon targets. We are currently working with the uh, New York Metropolitan Transport Authority and the arena and the Islanders to develop a campaign where we can encourage fans, whether that be through incentives or greater publicity, and um, real communication around how that experience could be a better experience than jumping in the car um, to try and get people um, onto the trains wherever possible. And we'll kick that campaign off um, in the fall around the new hockey season. Sounds like a great initiative. Sounds like everybody wins out of something like that. And Elise, I was reading recently that post-COVID there has been a bit, or some people might even say uh, a fair amount of a demographic shift in the US in terms of populations moving around. Do the results of that or or even the ongoing shift, if it hasn't actually completely played out and, and settled, does it impact your approach to partnerships in North America? Does it maybe push you to look for smaller deals or, or unusual deals or, or deals in areas where maybe you didn't think high net worth or ultra high net worth individuals were? It really has led to some kind of big shifts in our thought process and strategy. So New York is the globe, actually the global home for um, high net worth and ultra high net worth. The majority of the world's um, wealth has, you know, those individuals do have a residence in New York and that will remain. But a lot of those populations, they move around. They've got multiple residences and we've seen... um, a lot of a big um, demographic shift from the northeast down to Florida. And we've also seen um, not only us, but obviously many other people have tracked this, a shift from California to Texas. So that will, you know, we did, we, I am needing to start to think about what, what, you know, we could potentially activate in Florida. And luckily we do have a very big prominent brand activations in Florida around Art Bars on Miami Beach. Uh, we have obviously the Formula One race in um, Miami as well. So that's been helpful. But what could we look at from potentially an always-on perspective in Florida? And again, like where we have, we've always had a lot of clients in California and Texas, but where we can ensure that we have some kind of coverage in those areas. Um, Clients will um, travel nationally and internationally to a lot of events. Um, but I am keeping a, an eye on um, possible new opportunities. And we um, recently partnered with Acrisure Arena in Palm Springs because we'd seen that they have had a huge increase in visitors um, since the pandemic. In fact, now uh, more than a million extra visitors travel to Palm Springs as a result of you know changing work patterns and changing the movement of population. So we've got a, a, a smaller uh, 
category deal with the AquaSure Arena in Palm Springs to help kind of build our exposure in that market. You just mentioned Art Basel there. We know that UBS has a long history of supporting contemporary art and artists, including supporting some of the world's most important art institutions, events and, and fairs via art sponsorships and partnerships. The flagship, of course, is Art Basel. For those not familiar, Art Basel was founded by Gallerus in 1970 and is now the leading global platform, which it really is about connecting collectors, galleries and artists with fairs in Basel, uh, Hong Kong, Paris, and as you mentioned, Miami Beach, as well as moving digitally with online viewing rooms. It is a very different track sponsoring and partnering with sports and arenas versus art. How does sponsoring Art Basel fit into your business in terms of who you're trying to target? So we have been a partner with Art Basel This year will actually be the 30th year that UBS will um, celebrate partnership with um, Art Basel in Basel. And um, that Art Basel platform has um, expanded globally. And in my region, in the Americas, we've been partner with Art Basel in Miami Beach for over 20 years. So extremely longstanding. And also, as we kind of discussed around the 20th anniversary last year, Art Basel has been absolutely pivotal in changing the whole cultural landscape within Miami. So now there are many museums, many galleries that are are in Miami full-time and it's become a real global cultural hub. And that wasn't the case 20 years ago. So we're really proud of that, that we could be um, part of building out uh, Miami is a cultural hub. So, um, yeah, that's been fantastic for us. I think many of our clients are art collectors. Um, they're also investors in the global art market. UBS offers art advisory. We publish an art market report. Um, and we're also, we also have one of the largest um, collections of contemporary art globally. So we're, we're real leaders in the space. Uh, We sponsor major cultural institutions and art fairs and have a really active um, platform that supports art. Um, And in terms of our sponsorships, I actually feel that it's quite similar to our sports sponsorships because we're tapping into people's passions and their interests. And that's a a really key theme for us. Art fans are just as passionate as sports fans um, I think perhaps maybe they express their their passions in a slightly uh, different way. Maybe in a you know they're not cheering from the from the terraces or the sidelines, but they're certainly you know extremely um, engaged in in the art world. And we uh, create art content that profiles artists um, across the globe that provides a platform for really thought provoking um, themes around impact and purpose. So we look to tie that back in. But as we get, you know, someone might want to go to a leading sports event. They also want to come to Art Basel. They want to uh, be part of the crowd. They want to see this, you know, incredible leading art. They want to meet with artists in the same way that a sports fan might want to participate in, in, in one of their, you know, favourite events. 
You just mentioned there in the middle of that answer the art market report. That's part of the partnership with Art Basel. In fact, it's a it's a key pillar. Can you expand on what is involved in that and how you use it? So the art market report is an annual report that provides insight into trends that are occurring within the um, global art market. So that is around um, investment trends. So uh, whether the art market was kind of up this year or down this year, it looks at geographic trends and it just gives a real insight and supports that kind of art advisory um, function that UBS has. So it's just another way where um, on one side, obviously we're engaging with people's passion, but but art has become a, you know, a serious market. So it's something where we have leadership and it's important that we have research that backs up that leadership. And I think that's a model that we, we employ um, throughout all of our, you know, um, the advice that we offer to our clients. As I mentioned, you know, if we have uh, an athlete client or an entertainer client or the women's segment is another, is another segment, we always look for the research that ties back to that client's specific needs. And also we really ensure that we speak in a language that's relevant. We understand um, key themes that are going to be important to those individuals. And I think art is just another pillar. Annalise, listening to you speak there and talking about the report, it goes into great detail about trends, information, facts and figures. It strikes me as though that really plays into the persona of high net worth individuals and, and ultra high net worth individuals because they are they strike me as the sort of people who would like a lot of information to be able to analyze it, which is different to a sports fan. It's just running on pure passion and emotion and sure I'll buy another jersey or a hat or a season ticket. I mean I think sports fans love data. I've been around a lot of stats and figures and we'll play this team because this happened three years ago. And this, yeah, I think everyone loves, a lot of fans love a lot of data. But absolutely, I mean, I think a lot of our clients, they're business owners, they're entrepreneurs. Um, you you know, you, that they are very much into the details. We need to provide um, information on themes, on um on potential areas to investigate, on investment trends. All of that is, is is core to our offering. That's where we offer that expertise. Otherwise, you know, someone could be self-directed in what they do. It's very important for us that we have um, leading research. In fact, within the investment bank at UBS, we have um, a product called Evidence Lab, where we completely reinvented uh, research, so corporate research. And we have a team that features geospatial engineers and, um, you know, tech geniuses from across the world where we, for example, would look for a trend in retail and we would, they would look at geospatial patterning and they would look at, you know, weather patterns and how many cars entered a parking lot through satellite imagery. So we are very, very much, um, an institution that bases our intelligence on data. Partnering with charities or charitable events, it can be a great way to help raise much needed funds and awareness for important services in the communities that an organization operates in. 
A great example of this is the RBC Race for Kids, which happens right around the world. Tell us firstly, why is it important to help make this happen? But also from a sponsorship perspective, a business perspective, what are you looking to achieve by being part of it? So one of my brand roles was at Royal Bank of Canada, RBC, and one of the initiatives we had there was um, RBC Race for the Kids. And I think that that's a really great example of um, the power of partner, partnering with charities. It started with a single race in 2009, and it now has more than 360,000 participants that have raised um, over 82 million Canadian dollars for youth charities across the globe. So it's become this you know, huge global activation when I worked for RBC, Royal Bank of Canada, I was um, in the UK and I was responsible for the event in London. And I think it's a really great example of how mass participation sports can mobilise people and bring them together to raise valuable funds. Um, and the unique part of that event was that it engaged a lot of employees, their friends and families, and we all came together in a really festival environment. We involved clients. So clients came together with their friends and families. And then we worked with the charity um, for the UK, the charity is Great Ormond Street Hospital, Children's Hospital. And then they would send, you know, promote the race throughout their network. And we just had this incredibly inclusive fun day for, you know, Everyone, you know, it, no matter what your ability was, you could participate in the day and get around the, the course or, you know, getting back engaged with the festival atmosphere um, and, and raise incredible funds for an amazing organisation. I mean, I had the opportunity to visit Great Ormond Street Children's Hospital on many occasions when I was um, organising the race, and it's a really inspirational and incredible place that's doing extremely challenging work for childhood illnesses and conditions. So it was just a wonderful day, you know, bringing everyone together across the globe and just really raising incredibly well-needed funds. Um, and now actually RBC runs 25 races across the world. So it has had tremendous impact uh, for many different charities. Having an impact is a really important thing when you partner with charities or, or, or charitable events. Another example of this is one you mentioned earlier, 43 Oak Foundation, which I know is something that you are really, really passionate and, and proud of. So it's pretty much the same question. Talk openly about it. What does your involvement look like and, and why do you think it's important and what are you looking to achieve from it? So 43 Oak Foundation, it is an organisation that we're really proud to support. Ice hockey, it's the most expensive youth, youth participation sport in the US. 43 Oak Foundation is a non-profit uh, foundation that focuses on breaking barriers for underprivileged and minority athletes aged between 12 and 22 who wish to uh, participate in the sport of hockey. UBS, so UBS has partnered with the New York Islanders and we've actually committed a million dollars over five years to offer financial support to 43 Oak Foundation. And in terms of the financial component, 
those funds are really aligned to the individual players' needs. So that might be transportation or equipment. That could be ice time or the ability to support their participation in travel hockey leagues and tournaments. So as you can imagine, through everything I've listed, ice hockey is very, very expensive. Um, and importantly for us, we wanted to do more than just write a check um, and provide an infrastructure around the program that supported the uh, students. So this is a five-year journey at a minimum. It's um, providing um, support for students in their life on and off the ice. And for us, we, we looked at where can we um, really have impact. So we have um, clinics with the players where we'll have um, New York Islanders um, alumni come and um, host a, a skills clinic with the players. But also we've got an ice hockey team uh, at UBS. Didn't know that until I um, entered into a partnership with the New York Islanders. But the ice hockey team, we've got players from across the US and they'll fly in and they'll be part of that, those clinics and they really spend a lot of time with the players. We also have mentorship sessions. So we'll have mentors from our employee networks and from um, the hockey team, which will work with the players on really vital areas such as um, public speaking, leadership, career preparation, resume building. Um, we also have worked with the UBS financial wellness team and we are have run sessions with the players and their families because it's important that we create an infrastructure that everyone's involved with on navigating the college loan system. So, for example, when you're working with underserved communities, those um, kids might be the first in their family to have gone to college. So it's all, you know, we've noticed that we can create that platform for the kids where they maybe get college sponsorship but it might not be fully funded. So how can we um, help their families understand that loan, loan um, system and enable them to have um, the understanding that will help them nav navigate their child's career through college, which can be extremely daunting if you're, if you're navigating that for the first time. Um, we also involve other financial firms so we have an ice hockey tournament called the Three Keys Cup. And uh, we organised that with some leading financial services firm. We had um, many teams participate last year and raised an additional $100,000 uh, for 43 Oak Foundation. And we also have um, content that we promote the programme through broader uh, UBS Islander channels and we've also been picked up by a lot of news media so that's been incredible exposure for the partnership and at least doing something that helps affect change in communities is as you said i thought you put it really really well it's more than just cutting a check sure money helps but it actually takes real and thoughtful effort from all sides to affect real change as we've discussed ubs has been a proud partner of mercedes amg patronus formula one team for over 10 years now in 2021 as part of your sponsorship you created some great content involving lewis hamilton i'll read from the description of the video on youtube quote 
At UBS, we are committed to fostering a culture of openness and making a difference for underrepresented employees. Too many ethnic and racial minorities look at our industry and don't see their faces and their backgrounds reflected. That needs to change. At the end of last year, Mosaic employee network member and UBS employee Catherine Eichmann sat down with seven-time Formula One champion and Mercedes-AMG F1 driver Lewis Hamilton to discuss what individuals and organisations can do to support racial equality, end quote. Now, Annalise, I know obviously you are British, as you explained before, F1's part of the fabric. You told me that you're also a huge Lewis Hamilton fan. So this must have been a really exciting activation. Tell us about that, but also an important one, because we know that Lewis takes a a lead role on the equality front and UBS has a commitment to building racial and ethnic diversity within your own workforce. So it feels like there was a real obvious synergy on that front. Absolutely. We've been lucky enough to sit down with Lewis Hamilton a, a few times over the past couple of years. And the um, interview that you referenced with um, Catherine and Lewis was just a really insightful um, and personal discussion around um, underrepresentation in places of work, which as a uh, financial services institution um, is an area where we seek to, to, to advance. Um, Actually, UBS was one of the first financial institutions in the U.S. to publish um, our diversity and um, inclusion figures um, publicly. We're part of a program that's committed to that. And I think Formula One, um, as Lewis will mention, has has extremely low numbers of people of colour and also diversity from a point of women in the sport as well. Um, and that's something that Lewis Hamilton is extremely committed to and um, is working with Mercedes. He has his own foundation, Mission 44, and also more broadly with the Formula One organisation and other teams to um, really address that issue. Also, we interviewed um, Lewis in Austin this year and took a really um, deep dive into his work around um, Mission 44 and Mercedes. And, I mean, that was just such a privilege for me to really, uh, you know, get behind the scenes. I actually scripted that uh, interview because I am such a huge fan. And to go through and research um, Mission 44 Ignite, which is the program that's run through uh, Mercedes, and to just look at the the huge amount of uh, investment that Lewis Hamilton has from a personal perspective on um, really transforming his sport and really using that platform that he has um, to uh, push the conversation forward, to progress the sport around really solid targets. They've created really solid targets. He also works uh, within um, STEM, so science, technology, and um, mathematics um, education within for school students to really make sure that the funnel into the sport can be started from a really young age. He's also very committed to sustainability. So we um, interviewed him around his um, commitments to sustainability and how he has personally transformed his lifestyle to make sure that he has as minimal impact as possible. And that, again, aligns with UBS and our 
uh, focus on sustainability and impact investing. So there was a lot of synergies and also great to have him in Austin and hear his thoughts around the growth of F1 in the US. So it was a, you know, an absolute privilege to be able to be part of that conversation. You must have been very proud being involved in that one. So clearly UBS, you're not shy on content creation. There's been some really great things done. I wanted to park that question earlier. I said I'd come back to it around players TV. I've since finding out you were going to come on the show and having a bit of a chat to you uh, last week. I've been watching a little bit of UBS front office. I've been really enjoying it. Does it actually, Players TV and things like UBS front office, does it actually have a, a sponsorship angle or a tie-in or is it just great content that is true to the brand and just engaging? Yeah, I think content really gives us the opportunity to take a deeper dive into areas that our um, clients are going to be, are interested in. Um, also, we run really targeted, targeted campaigns to distribute our content. So um, that really helps us get the UBS brand in front of existing and potential clients in an engaging way. And they get to see how leaders in fields such as sports and entertainment approach their career and finances. So I think it it, it is an important tool for us. Um, and we've done that. I mean, I, as I mentioned previously, we've worked with the athletes and um entertainer segments on these on uh, several tv shows um front office has featured some incredible athletes we've worked with travis kelsey from the nfl two-time super bowl champ allison felix the most decorated american track and field athlete of all time um chris paul you know uh, legendary um point guard and also president of the nba players association so those athletes who are absolute leaders in their field, they have um, multifaceted careers that sit without, outside of sports. And they are also uh, passionate philanthropists in many, in many areas. So that content really, the content development really gives us an opportunity to A, change the narrative around um, athletes and that awful kind of um, narrative that they're one-dimensional, they just get out, they play their sport, and that's, you know, that's who they are. They're not. They're business leaders. They're entrepreneurs. They're activists. And that content has really helped um, us profile them. And also, you know, a lot of our clients are very, very philanthropic. They're entrepreneurs. They're business leaders. And we're just tying those things together. Also, front office enabled us to work with um, a lot of entrepreneurs that were really seeking investment. So we actually had one firm that one athlete invested over a million dollars with um, because they were so passionate about what they were trying to deliver to their community. Um, so, you know, where we can provide a platform for the athlete and also the entrepreneur, it's just an incredible win for us. And also provides great content for, for, our, for our clients and potential clients. Great answer. All right, let's wrap this up for you. Annalise, it's been a fantastic chat. I've really enjoyed it, and I'm sure the listeners have as well. If people would like to connect with you, keep the conversation going, or follow what UBS is, is doing on the sponsorship front or the, the wider business front, what can they do? Where can they go? They can go to 
UBS channels, so UBS.com or social channels, we are a financial services institution, so we're pretty limited as to what channels we use, but you can find um, a lot of our sponsorship content um, in sports and art on uh, Instagram. Uh, you can also connect with me on LinkedIn. And, of course, listeners will put links to those in the show notes. Annalise Messilati, Head of Brand Activation and Sponsorship Americas, thank you so much for joining us and taking us inside sponsorship at UBS. Thank you for having me. It's been a great conversation. Thank you. Great chat with Annalise. And as someone with a marketing background myself and a passion for content, I particularly love the examples of their content creation around Plays TV and also the work undertaken with Lewis Hamilton. You can connect with Annalise on LinkedIn. Just search for Annalise. That's A-N-N-E-L-I-S-E. Messilati, that's M-E-S-I-L-A-T-I. And of course, you can learn more about UBS at UBS.com. Finally, it was great to be able to connect with somebody new, Josh McKernan, and give him a shout out. So if you're listening and you haven't connected with me on LinkedIn, please jump on and connect. I'd love to hear from you and what you're up to. Just search for Daniel Oyston. That's O-Y-S-T-O-N. Or if we're connected already on LinkedIn and you haven't had a shout out, please get in touch and say hi. That's a wrap for episode 125. Until next time, I'm Daniel Oyston. Thanks for listening to Inside Sponsorship. Thanks for listening to the show. For more episodes and to subscribe to the show, search for Inside Sponsorship on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever it is you listen to your podcasts. Also, for more free industry-specific resources, including blogs, ebooks, white papers, and our Insights newsletter, head to coresoftware.com. Finally, be sure to follow Core Software on Twitter and LinkedIn.